Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 155. 155, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we are... Still at home. We're recording episode 155. You had a call with Christy Craddock last week. Oil prices going up. Uh, news news is uh, changing quickly out in oil patch. Uh, how, how are things on your end this morning? Man, you know, they are pretty good. Pretty good. Um, can't complain. Um, so we did have Commissioner Craddock on Energy Week. So if you missed that, go here. That was recorded last Monday. So for those who or following the timeline last Monday morning, lame duck, Commissioner Ryan Sitton went on Bloomberg or CNBC or somewhere and said that there would not be a vote. Uh, we interviewed Commissioner Sit, uh, Craddock at one o'clock, I believe it was that same day. That um, was already scheduled. And so we talked about, so we were kind of hoping to get a taste of what might be expected, but, you know, um, Commissioner, uh, lame duck Commissioner Sitton, you know, had already decided he wasn't going to push the issue. So, um, anyways, so it was a good interview. We enjoyed talking to her. And um, so a couple of things, Josh, just to point out here. Did you know um, that in 1756, which is 264 years ago, if I did my math right, the Seven-Year War began? And why is 264 relevant? Because that's how many five-star reviews we have. So we want to get to 300. That's the goal. So the Seven-Year the, the seven War started 264 years ago. In 1756. So, folks, we need to go and get that number up to 300. So, please help us do that. Um, we are working on the big name guests we promised. Also, you know, there was some, I don't know if you saw this, Josh, some questions over the weekend about getting Speakner on. I did reach out to him. I don't think he's back to 100% yet, so I don't know. But, um, Nate, can we alter Speakner's voice to get him on? There were some people wanting him to on, but I don't know if we can do that or not. Um, I'm not sure, but I can check into it. I'm I'm sure we could figure out something to do that. Okay, so maybe we can get Speakner on. Um, the last Speakner says, which Nate will link to in the show notes, is uh, was you know I think a pretty big, <laughs> pretty big hit from what I saw from people on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. Uh, a couple of things, Josh. Speaking of reviews, we got one from Indonesia, and I'm going to get your name wrong, ma'am or sir. I I, I apologize in advance. It is from, I'm going to say AMCE or AMCAMSIIIIE. Um, I'm assuming that's a name. I, I, I barely speak English, as you know. And the review indicates that. It says, informative, authentic Texas twang. Appreciate all you boys do. Um, so thank you, AMC from Indonesia. We appreciate that. And I appreciate the listeners around the world. Final thing, Josh, we have changed our newsletter up. So if you are getting the newsletter, um, you will notice it. Thursday, Friday, we sent out a new format. Um, the The digest goes out on Wednesday, so that will continue to be free, but we are moving it to a paid publication for the rest of the week. Uh, so if you're interested about that, you can go find out. But warroommedia.com is where you can sign up. Again, if you're getting it on Wednesday and you like it on Wednesday, you don't have to do anything. That will stay the same, but the rest of the week, it will be a uh, subscription-based service. It will cover stuff far beyond just the Texas One Guys podcast. Uh, it will be a, more of a geopolitical, but also, you know, you know, stuff here in the U.S. And um, 
a whole litany of items. So I think that covers all of the housekeeping we had to do, Josh. Anything oh, actually, Ryan, uh, there is one thing that we missed from last week. Uh, oh. Allegedly, last week was Rob George's son's birthday. So mm. happy birthday, George Ling. Happy birthday, Rob George's son's birthday. Uh, if it is your birthday or was your birthday. Um, we were supposed to do it last week, but who forgot, Josh? Nate forgot, right? So yeah. uh, way to go, Nate. We blame you for that. It was on the calendar, and uh, Nate just didn't you know, just didn't do his thing. So and I, I fandangled it. And, yeah, and if it was not Rob George's son's birthday, then whenever it is, we have now wished you happy birthday for your next one. So if that's 2021 or if it's 2020, we've got it covered. So we're covered for one good birthday, whatever that is. So. Yeah, at least 12 months. At least 12 months. Yeah, at least know, 12. Oh, it's a five star <laughs> review, uh, Rob. Yeah, yeah, and so does your son and your wife. Well, Ron, for those who did not listen to Energy Week, I figured we would um, some of the, some of the articles that are that are coming out. This one came out Tuesday, May the fifth. Was the Railroad Commission votes against requiring the cuts? So when you were talking to Commissioner Craddock, uh, the conversation was hinging around what are some of the difficulties about implementing these required production cuts, and what are some of the drawbacks, and so. Um, you and Ellen had some questions for her and the gist of her answers, uh, just wanted to kind of hit the, hit the bullet points for, for our listeners that have not listened to energy week. What are, what are some of the, the main takeaways of why they decided against the production cuts? Well, I mean, I think the main thing as it stood last Monday should have been, um, was that the market has responded with cuts. And so by, by, by this point, are you going to cut, on make the market cut even more. Um, so that would be kind of the the main thrust. And also there's a, there's a litany of issues. And that's the thing about the, the pro-cut people, which we are still looking for a pro-cut guest to come on to discuss it, whether it's lame duck, Commissioner Sitton, or whomever else um, to come discuss that with us. But Commissioner Sitton, we will not call you a lame duck to your face. Unless you want us to, then we'll be happy to. It's, you know, whatever. We're not, we're not going to call it behind your back if you, you know, if, if uh, we need to call it to you by your face. Equal will, opportunity insults. Yes, yes. We will be respectful and nice and, and, and cordial and all that. But um, we're just stating the fact that he is a lame duck commissioner, just so people aren't confused that um, he has nothing to lose as far as re-election goes. Whereas the other commissioners do have something to lose. So that that is a, um, it is a reality and does obviously impact how they view this situation. Anyways, I was... Um, where, where was I? Oh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of issues. First off, the the market has responded with, with a lot of cuts. Um, the second thing is uh, we talked about the legal issues. There's all kinds of legal issues that could be brought up from this. Uh, and then there's just practical realities, Josh. And I would just say this: if you go back and listen to the testimony I said before, and you listen to the people who want the cuts, especially the small producers, it's not entirely clear that the cuts would actually address their issues unless you structured them a certain way to address their specific issues. And I've heard some people speculate about. Um, you know, production volumes and stuff like this. Um, finally, I believe Commissioner Cranick said that the the quota was based upon October of last year. Is that right? Does that sound right? Something like uh, that. Yeah, October, November. Yeah. So it was based upon the quota. The, the cuts were based upon the production levels from last year, which is obviously substantially different than what their productions are this year. Um, we didn't even get to to that. I remember about you know if you're a new producer, if you're you know trying to up your production. So there's a there's a lot a lot of issues that again be happy to discuss with anyone who wants to come on and make the, the pro cut case. Final, final thing I say is is that um, I do have I have seen some criticism. That says that if you're not pro cut, then you're pro bailout essentially. That you're pro the government saving the oil and gas companies. I'm not pro that either. Just to be clear, that's not. I'm not saying 
um, we should not have cuts and the federal government should pump a bunch of money into the oil and gas companies. I'm, I'm not saying that. I, in fact, I think that would be a terrible idea. Um, so, um, but yeah, I think that was kind of the, the gist of it. What did you take away from it, Josh? Well, she, she made a, she made a point that the, the market has kind of taken care of itself. As you said, that was, that was one of her, her first points. Uh, she also talked about, uh, she, she addressed the fact that there may be companies right now that see opportunity. Um, and so if, if there is a company out there that can make it at $25 oil and can actually expand that they may be situated to do that. And she doesn't want, uh, require cuts to prevent someone from being able to take advantage of an opportunity, uh, which is something that, you know, we've said over and over again as well. We, we, we don't want to artificially force companies that could take advantage of this opportunity, not be able to. So um, there was that. And then she also talked, um, I mean, if you look at the production, like, like, she, like she said, and you said, um, if they're basing it off, off of October and most of these companies have already reduced their, their drilling by 20%, like it's impractical to want to yeah. add another 20%. Um, and, and just let me just interject, interject there because someone could say, well, you could, you could move the target to April this year or February this year or, you know, or, or March of this year or whatever. But um, why that wasn't done or whatever, I, I don't understand the, um, the practicalities of the measurements. It could be a, a data issue, data lag issue. It could be a lot of things, but that was, that was, um, that was the way it was put forward by, to be clear, commissioner Sitton said it was his staff, not, not himself. So just, just to be clear, his, staff put that together that darn so, staff doing true. stuff without uh, commissioner sitting telling them what to do hey let me tell you something i know how to blame a staff like the bit with the best of them so i can appreciate that man <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm down on blaming the staff so that's what we got nate and stephanie here for everything is our fault speaking of stephanie uh, she, she uh she's recovered from uh from the covid uh, i think she's doing well i um She's she's been bringing in the articles like clockwork. So, a big thanks to her. You know the the this the Stephanie might not exist theory has gotten some traction. Just to be clear, I've gotten several people over the last week who are legitimately questioning whether or not Stephanie the intern actually Why exists. Would, so, good. Uh, yeah. Why would Josh create a fictional personality in order for himself to do more work though? Well, I mean, technically you know, he's got to pull the articles and if the article quality goes down, then he can just blame someone else. Again, blame the staff. That's the, <laughs> that is the, <laughs> that is the strategy here. So you have some people who doubt her existence and others who want her to run for president. That is kind of the, the, um, the split in the fan base that we have here right now. So, um, just, just what is one, one, one other thing, Josh, real quick, this came out this weekend. I'm sure Ellen and I will talk about it today on energy week. But did you see the news about Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia imposes austerity measures as it, it as its economy found uh, founders. Um, Saudi Arabia said Monday it would triple its VAT, that's its value add tax rate, and eliminate allowances for state workers, adopting austerity measures aimed at boosting state finances battered by the coronavirus pandemic and lower oil prices. There was a lot of talk about over the past week. I saw uh, maybe we could half. People saying, well, man, the Saudis really came out good. If you look at the sovereign uh, wealth funds for Saudi Arabia and Russia, it's not entirely clear how those, um, you know, how those co countries are going to come out of this coronavirus pandemic. And so we might have some black and blue companies over here and folks like me and you might take a beating as well. But 
you know, they, they have their own issues. And I think those are kind of being quietly swept under the rug. If you're not really following the narrative, um, you know, maybe as close to some of the other folks do. Because yeah. I think one of Sitton's point was is, you know, Texas is going to take it worse than anyone else. It's like, well, I don't know. The whole, the whole country of Saudi Arabia looks pretty bad. Yeah. And, and it's not it's too early to tell. I'm not saying that, the, that that's the point. It's just too early to tell. It's not saying that, the, the, that we can call a fight. It's just one way or another. It's just they ain't walking around throwing parades saying they won, if you even want to presume that there was a direct attack. Yeah, and that's that's kind of one of the one of the points I made last week was I don't think anyone at the time that that Saudi Russia oil price started that uh, that the coronavirus Debo uh, was was going to do what it did. So it, mm-hmm. um, it they, there just wasn't a, a full awareness of this is <laughs> Saudi and Russia didn't realize we were going to go negative thirty seven. Well, I mean, seriously, and it, we, we'll, we'll go on to other stuff to talk about. Uh, I got to talk about Pioneer real quick on this topic. But if we just said a year ago, the global economy will shut down. Nations will shut down. You will have people who are told they cannot work, not in maybe uh, North Korea or Iran or China. We're talking about in the United States of America, they will tell you, you are not essential. Go home. You cannot work. We would have said most of us would have said, okay, either a, you're suffering from some kind of Trump derangement syndrome. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, uh, Trump's going to do all this terrible stuff. You're, 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 you're really out there. Or B, we just thought, okay, that's so silly. That'll never happen. Um, so no one, you, you, there is a sense of which being sympathetic to, uh, they made their move and they didn't know. I don't think anyone realistically could have expected everyone yeah. <laughs> to, to shut down. And so, um, they made their play and it just turned out this way. And that's, that's the risk they took. I'm not trying to, you know, sympath, uh, Sam, sorry, or, or I don't, you know, don't have a dog in the hunt. It's just, uh, no one, if it, uh, I say this, I say this, I bought R square global January of 2019. If I would have known that the global economy was going to shut down uh, a year later, I obviously wouldn't have made the play I played, right? And so, yeah. and so they were making their play while they thought they could time the market right. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of people who made plays who had no anticipate who had no um, ability to foresee this happening. And it's uh, it's still shocking that it's happened. I, I still can't fully get my head around what all we've gone through these past couple months, and uh, yeah, we'll be done with it for some time to come. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. For move on, Pioneer. I got to talk about this Pioneer real quick. So Pioneer was the was the um, was one of the leading advocates of the shutdown. Um, so let's just let's just kind of give a little credit. Pioneer. This is after their earnings call last week. Pioneer Natural Resources plans to make further cuts to its capital budget and overhead costs after its first quarter earnings fell fifteen percent from a year ago. No real shocker there. I'm not going to pile on them. Like I said, who would have expected this to happen? Okay, so we'll leave that alone. This is from uh, our boy Sergio, I believe, um, from the Chronicle. Uh, I think it's from Sergio. It's cut off for some reason. Anyways, um, the Dallas producer on Wednesday said it would reduce its 2020 capital budget used for oil exploration by an additional $300 million, cut corporate overhead costs by $90 million, and lower production costs by up to $70 million in 2020. Okay, nothing wrong with that. The cost cut uh, comes as the company reported earnings of $289 million during the first quarter Ended on March 31st, down 350 from the same uh, from last year. Revenue fell 6%, down to 2.3 billion. Uh, okay, so all of that's kind of, you know, again, we're not going to sit here and pile on folks for losing money during this time period. It's just the nature of the beast. Here is what I found interesting, though. And where, where, where's it at here? 
The company expects to produce on average 198,000 to 208,000 barrels of oil per day, which is about 7,000 barrels of oil less than its earlier projections. 7,000 less. Weren't they wanting to cut, Josh? Weren't they wanting the these these cuts to go in? I mean, weren't they wanting significant reduction in old barrels of the market? Seven thousand barrels. I mean, it seems like it seems like they could, uh, you know, really lead by example, right? So, to be fair, you could say, well, Pioneer is looking at this going. Well, if no one else is going to cut, then we're not going to cut, and you know, we're in a better position than other companies, and so we can, you know, we can not cut as much, and you know, kind of play them out. Um, whereas other companies might suffer more. So and that's fine. That's all within the corporate strategy. I don't have a problem with that. It's just that um, we felt like, we, we said in the show before, if you look at what companies do, what they do, um, that's really indicative of what they believe more than anything else. And this is what they believe. Um, so what they say, they do. Uh, you know, you can see Harold Hamm or someone that was like Sheffield talking about something from a certain perspective, their actions is what they actually believe. Again. That doesn't. I'm not saying they weren't actually pro cuts because um, because you know I don't know. Uh, I just found that kind of suspicious. But now they're only going to cut about seven thousand barrels uh, a day for uh, less. But if you do read Sheffield, I will say this about Sheffield for whatever it's worth. He is one of the few EMP folks who's who's putting out you know kind of long term projections. So if you're curious about where you think the market is going um, and you kind of want someone. You know, whatever you think about the man, um, like him or love him, he is putting out something that you can kind of um, read an argument and kind of engage with what the future prices might do. So I have found that interesting to follow. So anyways, just found it interesting. They're only going to cut about 7,000 barrels. So, so uh, yeah, he, there's a there's a quote we have from him and one of these other ones where he calls for you know, 20% uh, reduction. So he's he's on a team lame duck. So, uh, and that would have been 20% reduction from October of last year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what their numbers are, but I'm assuming it's more than 7,000 barrels. Um, they're predicting right now. I would think so. So there's a couple articles here. Uh, MRT getting oil to flow again won't be easy. So uh, there's there's that one. And then shale drillers risk relapse and a rampant oil output at $30 crude. So uh, kind of a, a dual threat here. So one is... Um, there's a concern that if oil hits 30, that the production is going to send us into a relapse. Um, I didn't find this article too convincing. Um, just from, from experience, the being at $30, I, I don't think we're at risk of, you know, a one rig boom, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't see it. I understand what he's saying is it's certainly possible that if oil gets up again, the production is going to drill the price back down. Obviously that's always, uh, a reality, but I don't think 30 is the number. And I don't think based on, so that article, if you read this one and then you go read the other one, which is, uh, written by, uh, the same it's MRT, but it's written by another author, another, another journalist getting oil to flow again, won't be as easy as, uh, as some people think. So just because it hits 30, doesn't mean we're going to be able to get that production up, um, as quickly as I think that article is assuming. Uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The shutdown thing, you're seeing a lot of talk about that. Uh, and real quick, I just pulled up Pioneer's numbers. If I did this math, which is on the fly, about 40 to 50,000 barrel a day uh, a cut would be what would be from third quarter of last year. So not 7,000, about 40,000. 
So anyways. Um, Why do you need the government to do it? That's what we need to do. Why don't you just do it? Well, I, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So maybe they're saying, well, if everyone else cuts, we're happy to go along with it. Um, and that this is this is the free market argument, is that if Pioneer thinks that they can outlast folks, then, then they should be able to make that determination. Why are they wanting the government to mandate it? I have a hard time believing that they are actually concerned about um, their competitors. And so they want the government to, 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 um, to keep their competitors. But, you know, anyways, the shutdown thing is something that's been going around there. And we need to get someone on to talk about this that's kind of better on the volatility of, you know, shutting down a well and reopening it and what's on ball. That's definitely outside of uh, your my pay grade. But I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of debates around this. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that as we look for, uh, what was it Blackman always says that, you know, the EMP company starts setting their second half of your budgets in May, right? And so mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing, I guess, about as we get into June, May, June, what these companies are going to look to do. So you're going to have the shut-ins, uh, but you're also going to have, you know, a significantly less drilling that's going to go on just in general. Um, will the, you know, as, as you talked about, yeah, there's kind of this thing, well, if the price gets back up to 30, folks are going to drill. As it stands today, I have a hard time seeing the banks willing to go back in at 30 and, you know, and the shareholders excited about drilling at 30. It seems like the the risk of drilling it back down is far outweighs, um, you know, hold if you can hold off, holding off for a substantial amount of time. Um, now, that's going to be a company by company decision, of course. But, you know, if, if it gets back to 30 and you start drilling and you drill a significant amount and all of a sudden the prices get a little shaky again then or there's a second wave in the fall or you know whatever happens then all of a sudden you're back down to to long-term lower prices so i'm not optimistic that you're going to see um, an uptick in drilling uh, even if prices get to 30. Um, as far as the shut-ins go i think you know again outside of my i've read some people talk about it outside of kind of my my um my pay grade for sure if you got a listener who's kind of an expert or Inside that, would love to get you on to kind of pick your brain on what are some of the issues. But um, you know, the other thing is, Josh, is we've heard about these these shell decline curves for years now, and so we're going to start seeing that actually. You know, that's kind of been the whole, the whole thing with shale is to keep the production high. We have to keep we have to keep drilling. So that seems to be the one of the things that as the decline curves kick in, um, you know, from last year's whales, that you should see a substantial drop in production um, Q3, Q4, whenever it comes on, whenever you know. That 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 drops starts to get there. So um, there's a lot of moving parts here, but I think the this the lack of uh, production and the decline curves that you're going to see is going to be the biggest factor. But I could be could be wrong on that. That's uh, the shut-in thing. Uh, it seems kind of depends on who you read. Again, I'm not not my deal. That there's kind of a, a debate about it. But you know, the other thing, Josh, what are we going to do if we get to you know Q3, Q4, and we have another you know we can't say we won't shut down the economy again. You don't know. You don't, you don't know. know right. 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 You don't know. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, and that's one thing in our, our newsletter day I'm, I'm kind of addressing is um, that you know, if you look at what's going on in South Korea right now, the news is, you know, South Korea was kind of the, the golden beacon of you know, how to handle the coronavirus. So now they have like 34 cases is the highest in a week or whatever. And so now all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're having a surge and Germany's having a surge. So there's, there's, there's talk of surges everywhere you go and it's, well, maybe there are, maybe there are, I don't know. But, um, it's going to be quite some time before we determine how society wants to move forward and what we will take. And we have to remember this is a presidential election year. It doesn't feel like it right now, but that's going to heat up. I mean, when's the democratic convention? Ju- July, end of June, July, something like that. It's coming up. September. 
Is that till September? Wow. Okay. I thought it was midsummer. Okay. Okay. So September. Um, so when that comes around, the Democratic convention, not till September. Really? Hmm. Okay. Uh, no, excuse me. It's at the end of August. Okay. Wow. That seems still further, further away than I thought. I thought it'd been uh, July, but okay, whatever. After that happens, you're going to have wall to wall presidential coverage. So, which is the most divisive time in our country. When we vote for president, that's when the bat the lines are really drawn. In the backdrop of that, or in the forefront of that, depending on what happens, is you're going to have the coronavirus playing out. On top of that, it feels like we're due for another stock market reset. So there are a lot of moving parts here. And um, yes, the oil price, I believe, will, will eventually go back up. But um, you know, maybe the end this year, maybe next year. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't um, I have a strong opinion on that right now. But I, I'm just simply saying that um, I'm not entirely convinced that if price gets to 30 or 40, that folks are going to be really ready to go all in because there is a lot of, we have a lot of uncertainty, I guess, before we get to calmer waters, if, you, if that makes sense. It's a, uh, it's a long way to go before we feel like we're back to normal. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, so uh, listening to some of those things about oil wells, um, difficulty of coming back online, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Anas, when he was on, his prediction was um, the lack of production is going to hit like Q3 mm-hmm. is going to be significant. Oil demand is going to sharply rise when all these economies open back up fully mm-hmm. and all these shut-in wells are going to be there that are going to, that are going to create a lag, which is mm-hmm. going to cause a sharp incline in, mm-hmm. in oil prices. Now, and I'm, I'm not certain that this is going to happen in August, but it seems like, it seems like all the things he was saying is unfolding the way he was saying it. Um, so I, as I've watched it, it seems that, what the, his his um some of his diagnoses seem to be pretty accurate to me as I'm seeing things unfold. Yeah, we have a lot to shake out on the geopolitical spectrum though, and that's kind of the yeah the big elephant in the room right now. That you know we have uh, emerging markets are really suffering, and you know what's going to happen with China with this uh, with the with the outbreak. Whether whatever you believe happened that aside, um, and whatever did happen that aside. The big thing now is, is will China actually work with uh, the World Health Organization, the EU, the U.S. to kind of work to a resolution to at least get everyone to agree on what they want the claim happened, <laughs> whether that's what's happened or not. Uh, will that happen? And if that doesn't happen, if China you know, draws a line in the sense that we're not going to work with you guys, the ramifications on the global, uh, global economy could be huge, especially if the EU does kind of you know grow up here and stands up to them, then you could see some significant shifts in how the global economy plays out. I don't think it's going to happen, but again, we're, we're, we're too early to make the, make the call with any level of certainty. Well, one, uh, one last thing before we, uh, before we move on. Um, it, it's interesting to note that uh, this level of shut-ins has never been seen before. So the, the data that these companies are dealing with is, is not something that they're confident in. And that's one of the problems in doing, kind of having an idea how this thing's going to shake out. So uh, there's a quote here from Clay Williams. He's the CEO for National Oil Well, Barco. Uh, the industry's never faced shut-ins like we're facing right now. We're mm-hmm. on the precipice of forced well shut-ins totaling 15 to 20 million barrels of oil per day. So um, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, I don't know that we're, um, we're not, this is uncharted waters here for, for yeah. many companies. So that's, that's part of the difficulty too. And, you know, I think Anas, as you brought him up a minute ago, he brought up the, 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 uh, 
the modeling for forecasting is tough right now because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. If you just take the airline industry, uh, there was an article from um, China out last week that, you know, they're considering making sure that all flights leave the middle seat open, which means that the price of the ticket will go up. Um, so you know, people have to fly. We'll continue to fly. But, you know, that that lineup, you really have to fly versus it's easier to fly is not as probably, you know, it's probably more gray than we'd like to admit. And then also, Surprisingly, I, I, um, the early indications are that the car sales are from China. And I thought with some of the, the uh, traffic congestion they had there that that wouldn't really be something you'd see. But you are starting to see that their car sales are up. Will the trend continue? I don't know. Will that trend continue to the U.S.? I don't know. But if you start to see automobile sales go up, then you could have a different look at how um, oil demand you know, is shaped moving forward. So you might see that the jet fuel demand changes because less people are flying, uh, but you might see all of a sudden uh, a significant uptick in, in cars because people are, uh, you know, gasoline because cars are, are, are driving longer distances, people are moving out of the big cities. So all those things will kind of shape demand. But that, that's an interesting thing that, that I've kind of watched play out is, will the car trend continue, especially places like China? Um, you know, what's going to happen with the flights? Because um, just this weekend, there's a big hoopla over, uh, a flight that was sold. Every ticket was sold. <laughs> and so people were mad that every ticket was sold because they wanted to have the the space between, you know, the seats or whatever. And so, you know, will you fly on a flight? Will you fly, you know, an hour or two hours or 15 hours if you had to wear a mask? I can tell you right now, I will fly an hour or two with a mask on. But man, if I got to go to China with a mask on or South Africa with a mask on, I'm really going to have to go. That's a long time to wear a mask on a plane. And mm. it's uncomfortable as it is. It's not mm. like, you know, one hour, I had to go take a uh, uh, a test uh, last week, and I had to wear a mask, and I had one of those N95, one of those bad boys. Yeah, real deal. So one of the straps had to come off. That was first thing. So <laughs> we, we, we can't do both straps. And then after an hour, I got out of there. Like, I mean. It, I got a large cranium. For, for the listeners who don't know, I've got an extra large cranium. So we're going to have to get like a custom-made mask for this big thing. So, yeah. uh but yeah, I mean, think about a 15-hour flight though with a mask on. Oh, dude, that's that's brutal. It's terrible. It's terrible. That's so brutal. I, you know, um, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to like gnaw on that rubber band and break it, <laughs> and then like just have it like sitting on top of your head like a hat. <laughs> I got my mask on. It's just not on my nose or mouth. I mean, I can't imagine sleeping in one of them things. It's hard enough to sleep on the plane as it is. So yeah, a lot of moving parts. So. Um. All right, so uh, you mentioned oil demand. I, I'm not going to go over this one. This this article here is from Rigzone and some oil. Uh, it's Rigzone panelists giving you a review of uh, of the market over the last week and looking at oil demand and how they see that playing out. So we'll, we'll link that in the show notes. Um, but it's a take from from several different people uh, about on the Rigzone panelists that kind of give you their take on how they see uh, oil demand shaping up for the rest of the year. So CEO of top U.S. shale producer sees oil price recovery continuing. Uh, this is your Definitely. boy, Pioneer Natural Resources, given uh, a take uh, where he believes that oil should be to at least $45 a barrel by the end of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so this mm -hmm. came out on May 7th. Mm -hmm. um, that was his prediction. And it, they, so when he said it, it was at the time trading around 25 uh, so at 45 a barrel, you know, that that's not yeah. great, but, um, better than 25. That's for sure. It's definitely better than 25. And for most of our listeners, it probably put them back to work. Yeah. Into back to work. So, mm -hmm. um, let's hope that Mr. Sheffield is right here. And this is what I was saying. He does make predictions. And so you can try to follow him, whether you think he's being you know, honest or what his motivations are. Um, you know, is this up to be 
to, to be determined. I will say this. Um, one of the things that kind of caught me off guard, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but if you remember back the oil storage, the oil storage, you know, it was going to fill up and we were like, oh man, the storage is going to fill up. Fill up. Um, and then Jim Teague uh, came out from Enterprise and said that he didn't think that was going to happen. And that was kind of the biggest thing that I heard say that. I was like, hmm. Teague obviously has better access to the data than me and you do. And so is he just saying this or not? And Teague seems to be from all accounts, I can tell pretty much a straight shooter. Um, you know, the company does really good and all this stuff. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then you started seeing, well, there's projections for 70 to 80% of physical storage at Cushing. And then it only hit 61 to 63%. I think it was two weeks ago. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, hmm, okay. Maybe, maybe we aren't going to get there. Maybe Teague is onto something. And now you're starting to see that that narrative of maybe we're not going to, to fill up as much as we had thought we were is kind of, it's kind of in doubt for sure. And there's uh, stories I saw this morning that I got around to, to looking into, but there's definitely some storage that maybe the storage isn't going to be as close as we thought it would be. Now, this is physically not necessarily paid for in demand, uh, paid for leasing space. But so that is kind of something to follow because if we don't, if we don't hit the storage capacity limit, um, as a lot of folks, myself included, were kind of kind of thinking that was going to happen, then we might have a rebound a little bit quicker than we thought as well, right? Because you know the the numbers don't get out of his whack. Out of, out of, out of whack as much. And so it is interesting if we get to 45 to 50 by the end of the year though, and we are in, then you get into a guess, you know, are we having a second wave and recession and stuff like that? But let's just say life kind of gets back to whatever the new normal is moving forward, you know, whether the flights or the cars, whatever it is. And there's no second wave. We just kind of go on living our lives. If we get back to 45 or 50, um, you know, that will be, that will be a win, I think for everyone involved because, uh, back in March, when this thing started going down, there was no real path to see it, um, to see it get there, right? Uh, and that's, but, but you know, the Saudis and the Russians, they decided to pull back um, at the, you know, with Trump putting pressure on them. Um, you know, the, the frackers over here have decided to pull back because the market pressures. So if if he's right, and listen, for the sake of us and all the listeners, we we want him to be right. We actually, we want him to be wrong and oils at like 70 by the end of the year. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we want. Um, but no, we would take this as him being right. We want him to be right. Um, but um, that would be, that would be a substantial win. And to my point earlier, if you're an analyst, I mean, if you're a bank, you're sitting there going, okay, are we going to pay for drillers to drill at $30 a barrel? I don't know. Um, especially if you get to 30 in, you know, what I don't know where we're at this morning. I hadn't looked. We are 24. at yeah, we're 24. So, okay. If theoretically in a couple of weeks, we get back to, you know, back to 30, are you going to start drilling again with the fear of potentially, um, you know, uh, of the storage, of the storage, whatever you believe about the storage, or the fear of over storage, are you going to, are, are, are uh, probably going to fund that? I, I doubt it. Um, but if you get back to 45 to 50 and we have a presidential election and we have a clear cut winner and it's not contested and there's no second wave, you know, you might see work get back to normal um, you know, sooner rather than later if, 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 if those things kind of play out. So, um, but yeah, anyways, so um, there, that's for what it's worth. It's something to track and, uh, you know, hey, we, we will sing his praises to the high heavens if he is right. Well, so uh, Sheffield, since you know, Trump and all those guys listen to the show, um, he has a little comment here. There will probably be only be a handful of companies that can grow maybe five in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, love to have Chef Hill come on and tell us 
who those five oh, those are. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you I would appreciate it. Yeah. You I would appreciate email that. us privately. We'll, we'll examine it. We'll vet it. And then we'll share it eventually with the listeners. Uh, yeah, and, to, that, and to be fair, Josh, I did, I did talk to someone with a BNP company, not, not Pioneer. Um, and I just asked him, you know, how many, uh, frackers, you know, EMP companies will survive. Let me pull this up here so I can get the quote, right? Let's see here. This was, let's see here. This is great podcasting. I know. I said, how many companies can make it to the end of the year at 25 hour oil? And, and then the response was of the shellers, less than 10, I think, maybe less than five. So that not was percent, someone, not percent. Yes, that was that was total number. Uh, and so, you know, we, we didn't go beyond that as far as does that mean bankruptcy? Or does that mean like, you know, they're selling or what does that mean? But that was someone who works for a, you know, an EP company and um, that was their, their their take on low prices. You know, and I said 25, which is where we're at now. So if those prices yeah. hold for uh, a significant amount of time. Yeah. Uh, opinion piece. Another one from MRT. Don't mistake higher oil prices for a license to pump. That's kind of what we what we went over earlier. Um, I, I I think we could safely skip that. We've we've talked we've talked a good bit about that. So here here's one, uh, Ryan. The Fed just changed its own rules to bail out the fossil fuel industry. So there was a complaint that banks got bailed out, uh, but the oil industry got sold out, um, or not not just oil, but also you know uh, Wall Street. So um, there's been talks about changing some of the, the way the feds handle oil and gas um, to figure out a way to give some relief to these companies. So this was an interesting read. Um, definitely going to link it in the, in the show notes. What do you think about the fed and, and what they're doing with the, with the oil market run? So if you've listened for any significant time, you know that we are definitely not pro bailout or pro government handout or stuff. The, the, the thing that that is unique here, and it's hard for me to really get a grasp on, how to think about this is that this is the government has actually caused this problem by forcing the mandates. Whether you think they should have or not, that's kind of a side issue. The government said that you can't go to work, which caused the demand crash, right? Right. So whether, and this is whether you're talking about oil and gas or the coffee shop or, you know, whatever non-essential businesses that, that have been impacted. So I don't have the list in front of me, but whatever you, whatever business that you're in, if you are struggling right now, um, is in part a result of the, the government force shutdowns. Now, you could have been a bad company before and this just sped it up. There, there's a lot of things underneath that. But that's what makes this unique is that you don't want to put yourself in a situation to where the government just pumps out so much money that we can never recover. But, but how do you look at a company and say, okay, you know, the government is causing this problem. They're going to give you money to fix it. But, you know, it's like, well, you know, normally I would say no, but they, they actually are the direct cause here. So are, are they obligated to help? And that, and that it's a, I hate to take a hard stance. I really do because I'm, I'm not in favor of it. And that's my general stance, but it's also hard to say, you know, if you look at, um, you know, uh, you know, Pioneer or, EOG or whatever, um, Apache, I don't know, insert company here. I'm not saying that they're uh, doing good or would have done good or whatever. I'm not saying that, but whatever they would have done was, 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 um, was changed, maybe sped up, maybe not by the shutdown. And so it, it, it makes it tough. It makes it tough because you go, you know, the government should be building out these companies, which is my general stance, but 
God, the, the government actually caused this. And I say caused, let's be clear. You could say they should have shut down or not. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but the, the government made it happen. They're the ones that made the, the shutdowns happen in response to the, the, to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So um, those are just, just trying, to make, trying to get the argument simple. So I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, that's a tough thing. I don't, I don't think it would help as many people as they'd like to pretend it would. I think it's going to cause more problems down the road. I think all those things are still true. But I don't know, Josh. How do you, how do you kind of say you can't get a bailout when the government cost you your company like for the airlines yeah. just, let's yeah. just take let's just get outside of the the oil and gas for a second the airlines the airlines if you cannot fly people around well what are you supposed to do and you know you can email me about the you know the pension plans for the uh, the, the golden parachutes and all this stuff that they do the buybacks i, I get all that uh, i'm not I'm just trying to keep the argument just at a surface level for now um how do you look at the airlines and say well we couldn't let people we wouldn't let people travel for work and business and stuff like that so uh sorry you gotta go to, you gotta go to business now Yeah, I mean that that I think that becomes the issue. I mean, so so somebody somebody that is against uh, government bailouts um, also has the factor that if the government is acting with tyrannical powers and shutting down, like the the salon, the barber, she she mm-hmm. went to, she went to jail for mm-hmm. going to work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With very low cases, very low risk, very low death rate. I mean, we're mm-hmm. This that was ridiculous. So she is actually in jail for that. So if her business gets shut down because of that, can I really be consistent and say that she shouldn't get government aid? Well, right. no, I, I I can't. I mean, I I think that the government shouldn't have ever shut her down, and the government shouldn't bail her out. But you can't necessarily separate the two. So once the government makes the mistake number one, that kind of starts a domino effect that maybe they maybe they are responsible for doing these bailouts. But the, the problem, the problem uh, with the bailouts, Ryan, is that it's imaginary. It seems to me that, that if, as the government does this, it's not actually going to address the problem and mm-hmm. it's not going to, to bring a solution. It's, it's just going to push the, push the, 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 the day of reckoning a little further down the road. It's mm-hmm. not actually going to, and that's the problem that that we're seeing right now is the economic the economic shutdown that that they that they brought about is not something that they can control as much as they think they can. It seems to me. Now I hope, I hope that I'm wrong here. So I, I hope that um, everything just fires back up and, I, right. and we're rolling. You know that would be fantastic. I I, I really want that. Well, yeah. So I would say a couple things. Um, I agree with. So if you take like um take to the point the government shuts you down and so are they responsible to help you get back going let's just take this and make it not um not the government so let's just say that i do something that causes josh's business to close down so i i you know whether it's um uh, i'm trying to think of what it is but i do something that that makes you it couldn't be free market though it'd have to be like you go and put concrete all around my building that's wet so nobody can get in. Right, 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 right. Or I decide to go take down my asbestos building and because I did it, I didn't do it in a safe manner, asbestos is in there and Josh can't go to work for three months or, you know, I do something that's really stupid and it just, or yeah, or build a concrete wall or I tear the road up and people can't get your business, whatever. I do something. We would both agree that because I injured, uh, you're the injured party, I should be liable to pay for some of those damages back to your company. We don't dispute that at all, right? And that's kind of what you're saying with the government. The problem is, is that the government doesn't actually have money. They use our money. 
Yeah, so that's, 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 yeah. that's problem one. <laughs> so then problem two is, um, you know, if you look at like the PPP loan, you know, if a company like, um, you know, Josh's, you know, in, in this fictional world takes a PPP loan versus a company like Ruth's Crisp, Steakhouse, it's just handled differently. They have better access to the congressmen, the senators, those people, uh, the lobbying groups. And so they're going to get uh, the legislation written certain ways. And so there's there's stuff like that, that that happens. And so it's not necessarily that whether it's a PPP loan or a bailout, what, that it's going to be, you know, this is the point about the probation, that's going to be uh, written in a beneficial manner for everyone. And it's hard to do that, as we talked about last week. It's hard to write this legislation where it encompasses all the problems and the issues. People have lawyers. They think about this stuff all the time. So you get it. So you, so you start working down those issues. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe we started with a good argument. The injured party needs to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, reparations or whatever the right term is. I'm losing a word. Um, but the reality of what actually happens is that's not what happens. Whereas if Josh were to sue me in court, there'd be a case, there'd be, you know, um, things made. And then me or my insurance company would have to provide Josh with the refunds. And that's, so that's kind of the, the problem that me and you see is it's not necessarily, um, and let's just take the PPP loan just to be, just use an example. We issued the PPP loan while our economy was shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And listen, for us, ours for global, we had to take the PPP loan. I'm not going to act like we, we, we had to, it was, it was, uh, it was required for us to just to kind of keep things going along here. And so, uh, but there, there, but there also, the reality is, is that there's folks who got the PPP loan and their businesses weren't allowed to continue to go. So was the PPP loan a good program or a bad program? Well, it depends on what the goal was. Was the goal to keep people off unemployment? Yeah. Then it worked because you got people on the PPP loan. Um, was the goal to restart the economy? Well, if you gave the loan out, but the economy wasn't open, then I don't know how you actually restarted the economy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so you get into these things where it's like, um, so, you know, and, and there's no doubt for, for in these cases that the government um, has caused a lot of this trauma at, by the response to the, to the COVID crisis. Um, you know, what would have happened if we left things open? We don't know. We have no idea. We have some, some guesses, some opinions, but we don't fully know. Um, businesses would have went out and businesses would have thrived, uh, but it would have been different. So um, that's the hard thing. That's the real hard thing here is that you're, you're seeing the government, which is causing injury. Um, and then they are the ones that um, you know should make the payment back, but they don't actually have the money to make the payment back. And then when they do, they do things where it's not really well thought out. And, you know, you kind of get to all these other issues as we've described. So that's, that's the, that's the double-edged sword, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you just, just, I mean, if you look at the airlines, so shut down the airplane, the, the flights and uh, the industry, mm-hmm. they give them a whole bunch of money to keep the payroll going while mm-hmm. they can't actually generate any. Right. Yeah. That's just, yeah. it's insanity. I well, mean, you right. got to do both. You got to open it up and give them money and then stimulate the economy. And it's just so it, yeah. So is the goal to keep the, the is the goal to keep the airline workers off unemployment or not? If that's the goal, then just giving them the money to keep them on payroll for six months is is the same as having them on unemployment for you know, right? Yeah. Because you're saying they're gonna they're gonna take government money wherever. So we're just we would you could make the argument to the government saying, listen, we're gonna do bailouts because we understand that if we don't, the unemployment numbers will get so high that the economy might never recover. So we're gonna give out a PPP loan, we're gonna give out a bailout, we're gonna do all this stuff. Now we understand that those are just hiding the real unemployment numbers because those people would be unemployed otherwise. Right. Right. Uh, and, and, and if an unemployment number went up 15, 20, 30 more percent, 
you know, the economy could really crash. So we're trying to pretend like it's not happening. And maybe there's an argument that that's the best way to handle um, what's going on uh, you know, right, right now. But, but, but there is a reality that at some point we can't continue to do that. And so how do you handle that? And so it's, this creates a big, wide, crazy mess. And so um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I'm generally not for the bailout stuff, as I said, to start this off with, but you know, if, if I ruined your business and it wasn't like some crazy deal, but I, you know, I did something that deliberately impacted your business knowingly, you know, me and you would have a hard time arguing that, that we wouldn't be responsible for, uh, you know, that person paying it back. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so it, it makes it a, makes it a tough spot. Um, but the reality is, is that what will come out of this will be, you know, more government intervention, more government oversight, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot all of the bad lot stuff. Of, all the bad stuff as well. And that's where you kind of, that's why in the back of your mind, in my mind, we're going, I'm not too sure about this because we understand that, you know, you're not going to come out of the other side of this thing without new regulations and legislation that ultimately will hurt the economy. Well, Ryan, uh, jumping into the Texas Roundup, I know we're getting low on time. So uh, there is an article that came out seeking alpha. ExxonMobil has made an acquisition offer to a company. I had the name. It's a. It's only it's, a, it's only seven million. So it's a it's a smaller. It's Hugaton Royalty Trust. I may have just mis, uh, mispronounced that. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, so it's a seven million dollar. And the article is suggesting that. This may be the start of a chain of acquisitions that are about to be taking place. We've been talking about this for at least a year now, uh, not specifically this acquisition, but some of these big, uh, these super majors uh, preparing to make some acquisitions. With a time like this, values are going to start plummeting. Um, I expect we're going to start seeing a bunch of these, uh, a bunch of acquisitions, not just from Exxon, but from several of the others. Now, because that it's gotten so bad, I'm not sure that uh, that we're going to see as many as I would have thought. Because some of these companies may be waiting, you know, to, to see things start to tick back up a little bit. So uh, yeah, but it, how, you know, what's going to happen with the bankruptcy? You know, are, are they going to go through bankruptcy and you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, that that too. So Waterbridge, as uh, Hard Energy Waterbridge names co CEOs as founder Stephen Johnson steps into a new role. So. Uh, I want to link that in the show notes. Uh, Waterbridge is a pretty major, uh, pretty big water company that has been supplying water out of the Permian, uh, among other other areas. So uh, interesting to kind of keep up with them. I, I always try to keep up with water in the Permian because that is a pretty good indicator of uh, activity. And, and I was actually worried that these water companies were going to get hit pretty hard during this during this time. Uh, Basic Energy launches automated water management solution with Permian operator. Another uh, another water article for anyone interested in that. We're going to link that in the show notes. Permian drillers cut output themselves with Texas oil caps dead. So this is something that we've covered earlier. Free market oil price went down. EMP companies cut their production, and then um, railroad commission tries to gallop in and call for production cuts, and and the market kind of took care of itself there. Uh, one more article here from MRT. Drilling sinks to record U.S. low. In eight weeks, 53% of active American oil and gas rigs have gone dark. 53%. That is unreal. Um, yep. Yeah, and Josh, I don't know if we talked about this last week or not, but let's just, uh, we're going to have a moment of silence for Chesapeake 
as they have, I think we talked about the bankruptcy thing. Um, they come out this morning and said, uh, let's see, I believe that this was this morning. Um, they've raised doubts about its ability to remain a, uh, to remain a growing concern as a reported first quarter loss of 8.3 billion compared with the loss of 21 million. That's the M for the second one during the same period a year earlier. The current the company wrote down the value of its own oil and gas assets by 8.5 billion dollars. And so, um, you know, I have a lot of fun at Chesapeake's expense, mainly because I, um, it's um, it feels like there's a lot of um, a lot of kind of hype that goes around them where the where the facts aren't really there. Uh, but for the folks who work there, obviously it's a tragic situation, and so hopefully you guys can weather the storm and make it through the other side. But it looks like um, you know I've 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 called Chesapeake the Jason or the Freddy Krueger or uh, the guy from Halloween, Michael Myers, repeatedly on LinkedIn because they can never die. But this might be the the um, the final, the final blow is their company debt totaled 9.5 billion at the end of the year. Um, so, anyways, so I'm sure they will be looking for bankruptcy and whatever else is going to happen with those guys. So, anyways, so folks out there working for them, uh, we are sorry to hear that. That is not good news for you and your family personally. Um, so, anyways, just wanted to bring that up. And real quick, this is breaking. So by the time this gets out. Iranian Navy hits its own warship with a missile that happened. <laughs> so I don't know how that happened, what happened. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, there's a Forbes piece. You can Google it. There'll probably be a lot more out when this comes uh, by the time it's coming out tomorrow. But, um, excuse me. Oh, uh, let's cut that out. Nate, sorry, just burped off the microphone there. Um, Anyways, we'll link to this in the show notes, and folks can go check that out. Um, Josh, I believe that is it. We are still taking five-star reviews. Roast Month is July 15th. I believe it's tax day, so get those in. We are on our quest for 300, and then when we get to 300, we'll have a new quest. But remember, 264, whatever it was years ago today, the seven-year war started in whatever year I said. That's important. That's why I need to give us a five-star review. And uh, is that it, Joshua? Uh, one last thing oh, I wanted to mention, actually, actually two things. So uh, one was EOG resources to shut existing wells. They are anticipating to sh- uh, cut back uh, their capex by another billion. Uh, so at first they cut it fifty uh, percent. Uh, so they were up, I guess, around six. Um, so they cut it in half, and then they dropped it by another billion here here recently, and they are. Uh, showed a startup of about 150 new net. Uh, so they're shutting in uh, or at least delaying 150 new net wells until the second half of 2020. So EOG is kind of watching and uh, paying attention to these oil prices before they make decisions on what they're going to do with wells. And uh, one last one was uh, Oxy seeks to lessen roughly 40 billion debt load. Uh, so there's it, it, a Wall Street Journal article here that uh, kind of gives a uh, overview of oxy and um it's a good article so uh if someone you follow um kind of interested in them uh, give it give it a look it's it's definitely worth a read yep and warroommedia.com if you can't get enough of what i think about the world which you probably should right now but if you can't warroommedia.com if you're already subscribed to our email list then you will continue to get it on wednesday it will be moving to a paid subscription here the next week or so um, so, uh, but the Wednesday newsletter will still be the same. 
or Josh Shelton, Nathan Hansen, and Stephanie for pre- the pre- Stephanie the intern for president, which we've got to work on that. Uh, until next time, keep climbing.